welcome to the Evoke Ag podcast, the show where we take a look at the ag tech and food innovations changing the future of farming. Hello and welcome to the Evoke Ag podcast. I'm your host, Steve Honor. This week, we speak to Andy Zulkowski, the Managing Director of US-based Food and Agricultural Focus Fund, Cultivian Sandbox, and co-founder and managing partner of Cultivian Ventures. And with more than 40 years in the game of venture capital, Andy knows a good investment when he sees one. Here, he shares his experiences and advice for startups seeking to stand out from the pack with our VOCAG contributor, Megan Woodward. With a VOCAG 2022 just around the corner, Andy reflects on the bounty of opportunities in food and agriculture coming out of Australia, the important connections he's made on his past visits, like the 2020 Evoke Ag Investor Dinner, and why co-investing with Australian founders with local knowledge has been critical for success. We hope you enjoy this conversation. I'm going to ask you, first of all, for people that don't know you and don't know what all of those titles mean, tell us a bit about yourself, Andy. Well, my background, um, I've been in the venture capital business now for 40 years, four decades, since 1981. I was born in the UK. I wound up in the US. In fact, my parents were looking at moving to Australia as well. They were uh, displaced from their countries and um, wound up choosing the United States. My uncle was a potato farmer outside New York, and uh, we wound up there. So I've been investing and working in uh, venture capital now for over 40 years. The last decade, and well, more than a decade, um, in food and agriculture. My colleague, Ron Musen and I started Cultivian. Um, to th- well, we met in 2006 and saw this opportunity to invest. There weren't any institutional venture capital investors that were um, focusing on food and ag tech. And so we saw it as a great opportunity and set out on this journey. And now we're investing out of our third fund and um, uh, we've added to the team and going strong. What was it about food and ag tech that first caught your eye? Well, I think, well, initially I invested in in healthcare. That's what I did when I started um, back in 1981 although some technology too. We did back then, when I was working for this family office, make one investment in the ag biotech sector. We pivoted more towards human health uh, because it was early days and it was growing. Uh, Those were the days when companies like Genentech were being formed. And so um, we uh, tabled uh, ag uh, back then, but there's been a lot happening. And I think what caught our eye was that with the world population growing and the need to increase food supply, there were certain challenges and a lot of it had to be dealt with through technology. So new ways to uh, new seed varieties, new production techniques, and no one was doing it. So we wanted to be uh, the first. It's always nice to see a trend and be ahead of the game before it becomes a trend. What are some of the big trends that you've invested in that uh, people were curious about, but uh, maybe a bit pessimistic about that have come off for you over that time, Andy? Well, I think there have been a number of things. We we were early into robotics, um, and I think uh, 
there are challenges with labor, I think, uh, and that's only growing, uh, especially where, where I am in North America. And so um, I, I think uh, robotics is, is now uh, firmly entrenched, both in broadacre row crops, as well as in specialty crops. Still early days, but I think that trend is now firmly established. Uh, a company in the U.S., Blue River, was acquired a number of years back by John Deere. And I think you're going to see more acquisitions there. And so that's one for sure. I, I think in crop protection, biologics, um, the movement away from ag chem is, um, is something we saw coming. And I think that trend is, is taking off in a big way as well. So um, we were happy to make some early investments there too. Talking of things that are taking off, let's talk Avoca Ag now. You were at one of the original um, investor dinners back in 2020, I believe. Tell me yep. your experience of that. What was what were you expecting and what did you get? Well, I, I think we always thought and expected that technology in ag tech, food tech, would emanate out of the fine research institutions in Australia. And I was... Uh, pleasantly surprised by the number and the quality of the companies that were uh, formed and up and running. And so I was heartened by that. And also um, excited to see a number of venture investors uh, who are now investing in this sector out of, uh, out of Australia. And so um, I hope those trends continue because uh, you need technology, but you also need uh, capital for those companies to uh, get launched properly, both locally as well as around the world. You mentioned after that initial investor dinner that it was one of the uh, the more important things that you'd done that year. Can you explain to us why? Well, I, I think we always uh, viewed that deals, um, opportunities for investment would come from Australia, where yet to make our first investment, but I do believe that it's it's a beachhead we wanted to establish and wanted to let others uh, know about uh, Cultivian and the fact that we were uh, willing to invest and uh, eager to get to know investors and stakeholders uh, that were participating in the sector. And not just at the investor dinner, but I was surprised by the attendance and the enthusiasm that I saw down at Avocag. What are the benefits of investors networking to create those co-investment opportunities? Well, I mean, for us, we, we need to get to know these businesses early on. Um, so having the ability to meet the entrepreneurs one-on-one, -on -one, like, like I did, as well as you know, the investors at Tenacious and Main Sequence who are big players there, and have conversations uh, across the table. That's important. We can do it certainly in a two-dimensional world off Zoom or any kind of conference setting, but having those open discussions, I think, are very important, and that's why physically going down makes a lot of sense for us. We're committed to it. On that note, what's some advice that you can give to startups about the importance of being in the room, not just nailing the pitch, but also nailing the, the relationship, and those networking opportunities when they're put on a plate in front of them? Well, I mean, uh, it's, I think I've always thought and this is 40 years of investing. It's, it's the people business and technology is important, but you need someone to really execute and deliver. 
and building those relationships. And maybe someone, an investor like us, may not invest the first time, but you get to know the entrepreneur, uh, members of the team, and you get to watch them and, and hear how they're doing. That's very important for us. And I think you should, as an entrepreneur, get to know these investors because it's a two-way street. You want It's a bit like getting married. You want to make sure that the investors that come in are people you can work with, and we want to know the same thing as well. So it's a, it's a long-term working relationship, very much like a marriage. Absolutely. And you make a good, really good point there that you might not invest the first time you meet them or even the second time, but third or fourth or fifth time's a charm. So I guess there's a real piece of a pearl of wisdom there, Andy, that um, if you don't get picked up the first time, don't go home and close the bag. Keep on coming. Well, we we, we have one company in our portfolio. Uh, it's a U.S. company called Vesteron. We looked at this company four times and we invested on the fourth go round. And the company's quite successful. Actually, it's a U.S. company, but several of the founders had come out of Australia. It was uh developed around identifying spider web venom that could be used to selectively be applied as a biopesticide to um, attack certain critters that are eating strawberries and uh, other uh, specialty crops. But yeah, it took a while. And uh, part of it was understanding the data with ag. For us, it's all about the data, our new uh, product that are being developed, uh, actually working in the field. Are they safe? Are they efficacious? So we'd like to see that. And watching companies like Vestron over the years and observing how these these new products are behaving is, is very important to us. Absolutely. So how do you nail the, uh, the pitch deck for a startup to uh, find, I guess, pique the interest on the very first meeting? What's the advice on nailing it for the, uh, the first meet? Well, that's a tough one to say. I mean, it's, um, look, we're in the business to make money. So I, I think we have to see the potential over three to five years for a company, hopefully to return uh, what we call a venture rate or return, some multiple on what we invest in. So having that in a pitch deck uh, is, is important to us. Um, also hearing the story, how the company uh, was started. Uh, to me, it's very important um, to know about the entrepreneurs, the founders, where they come, came from and why they're so excited about the business. You know, so it's um, somewhat subtle, but I think it's, uh, it's important for them to communicate that when they meet investors, not just me, but I think others um, who are looking to invest. Absolutely. And I guess that goes back to your point that, yeah, while you're, you're investing and it's a, it's a finance business at the end of the day, it's also, it's people business. It's a people game and you have to keep that in mind. So bearing that in mind, I'm interested to know from you, what are some of the differences or the nuances between an Australian investor and an American investor, do you think? Well, I, I think uh, from what I've seen, at least um, the objectives are similar. I mean, we're all in it for a return on investment. So I, I haven't seen any, any differences. We, we all speak the same language in the sense that we're looking at market size, unique technologies, competitive advantages, and people. So whether they're Australian VCs, like I'd mentioned, uh, either Tenacious Main Sequence, for example, we can have open conversations. They know what we're looking for, and we know how how they 
decide on what to invest in. So it's a similar game for all of us, which is great. It's a universal language in many respects. It's good to know. It's a level playing field then to start up with. I would like to ask you about something that you said after the last dinner. You mentioned that you would wouldn't invest in an Australian startup without a co-investor that was based mm-hmm. in Australia. Can you tell us a little bit about why that's the case and if it's still the case? Yeah, uh, the answer is yes, it's still the case, but it also applies. We don't single out Australia. We apply the same, I guess, qualification around the world. And for us, it's boots on the ground. From where we sit in Chicago, up in the States, it's a long way, whether it's going down to Sydney, going to Europe, going to Israel. It's very important for us to have boots on the ground who can visit with these companies fairly regularly, not just be there for a board meeting every quarter, maybe every year. For example, we've been in situations here where the two founders of a company have big disagreements. And to be able to drive to the company or take a short flight and sit down with with two of them and hash it out over a beer or a cup of coffee is critical. Uh, it's tough to do when we're you know 14 hours away, and it's uh, it's a long journey for an expensive cup of coffee. So um, having someone local is very important, no matter where you are. And then the other part, this nuance is the the culture, maybe less so in Australia, but still it's a question of the business law governance. There are differences between business law in Australia, certainly in Germany and in Ireland, where we also have investments outside of North America. So having local investors who have experience because most of their portfolios there is critical for us. Uh, and it's it's hard for us to, to dismiss that, whether it's Australia or anywhere else in the world where we see that it's a, it's a real trek to get there. Absolutely. And I guess in the pandemic environment that we are all living in globally, that only adds to that sentiment. It yeah. would be remiss of me to not ask you about the impact of the pandemic and COVID-19 across the board. It's changes with who you speak to and what industry they're in, whether or not it's been a silver lining or whether it's been a decimation. From your point of view, as far as ag and ag tech investment goes, what sort of impact has the pandemic has has had um, on that sector? Sure. Well, I think I, I look at it two ways. There's been an impact on how we conduct business because we did it in a two-dimensional world. And we wound up onboarding people to our fund who we've just met on, on Zoom. Also, deciding on new investments when you physically can't get to a company so we've we've you know candidly had to find workarounds in order to satisfy that. We didn't stop. We we made some investments. We clearly didn't invest at the same pace we did before COVID. So that's one impact. And then the second really relates to the opportunities. I, I think what COVID did do, certainly in the US, it exposed challenges in in the supply chain, in labor or lack thereof, and in food safety. So we look at those as opportunities because I do think many people, when you look at food and food supply, take things for granted. And uh, at least where we are, the concept of a food shortage is 
is really not known by people. The threat of not finding what you want in a in a store and it's toilet paper, but it also applies to certain other food products. And so I do think that it's exposed um, the food industry. And, and I think we've been looking at opportunities in areas like supply chain and food safety because of that. Absolutely. Those sector vulnerabilities that have been exposed in Australia specifically has reminded us that we are just a tiny small island in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> um, so I think a lot of people can understand that. And we have seen a lot of innovation come out of that. Um, is that what you expect out of Evoke Ag 2022 and the way that uh, the way the world is going? Do you expect a, a larger focus on that? Or do you think that potentially people are thinking bigger again? Hard to say. I hope people are thinking bigger, but you know, I, I I do think everyone that I've talked to in the investment business is looking at this area differently. I think also another part of it that's really bubbled up to the top for us is sustainability, carbon sequestration, which Australia, I know, um, is a leader in. Um, it, it's something that we're seeing more attention being paid to up in North America, in the U.S. especially. And I think those those are big challenges, and they're world they're challenges around the globe. And I think you know we see opportunities there, and um, hopefully we'll learn more about it at Evoke this year or next year. Absolutely. On that note, Andy, give me your best pitch. Why are you coming, and why do you think other people should be at Evoke Ag twenty twenty two? Because there are a lot of great opportunities in food and ag that are coming out of Australia, and you have to be. You have to be there really to understand and see them and, and, and be ready, hopefully, to make investments. That was Andy Zilkowski, the Managing Director of US-based Food and Agricultural Focus Fund, Cultivian Sandbox, and co-founder and managing partner of Cultivian Ventures. And he was speaking with our VOCAG contributor, Megan Woodward. Thanks for listening today. My name is Steve Honor. And to stay up to date on food innovations changing the future of farming, be sure to follow Evoke Ag on your preferred social media channel or head to our website, evokeag.com. And until next time, have a great day.